0: Today, we're going to get personal and share our family's struggles with the public education system, thoughts on how the current system often fails the special needs community, and how we plan to tackle it. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week, we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This
1: is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. What a great intro. It sounds like we're on the defensive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, We wanted to talk today about specifically our experience with the special education journey in the public education system. There's been some really great positives and there's been some not so great negatives. And we just wanted to kind of explore those with y'all, let you know our thoughts and our next steps, possible suggestions. But we are honestly still kind of navigating this part of the journey. So we thought that we might as well just share our story for those of you out there who are also navigating it and could possibly relate. With that said, Matt, do you want to give a little bit of a background on our girls in school right now, like where they're at, what they're doing?
1: Sure. So, I mean, we recently relocated. So, both of our kids are in pre-K. So, we have the youngest in, what would you call it, a all include, or I guess it's the opposite it of that. It would
0: be, yeah, it's- it- A self-contained classroom, that's what it's called.
1: Okay, so all of her, I guess, peers and classmates, they're all on the spectrum. And then that's where our oldest daughter had started as well. So they were going to school in the same classroom. And then our oldest one, who is four and a half, give or take, she has transitioned to a partially inclusive class, which includes, I think, like three or four kids on the spectrum, and then like 18 neurotypical kids. So right off the bat, we're kind of in two Because we have both girls have different needs, but now they're in two different environments. So what's working for one might not be working necessarily as well for the other just because of the change environment. So it's been an interesting challenge, give or take, uh, just to kind of see how they've kind of been growing and developing kind of in their own space.
0: Just a small technicality. Technically, it's not the all autism class. It's a class where there's a bunch of different type of special needs kids. There's like one or two other autistic kids in their classes. But there's also like a child who can't hear. She has hearing loss and some other special needs, too. Obviously, we're not privy to those. But we basically have two kids, both autistic in slightly different situations. We really had a great experience with the self-contained classroom. For those of you who don't know what that option is, most public school systems have a couple different levels of special education options for your kids. And usually the law basically says they have to provide you with the least restrictive environment, which means they need to provide your kid with a educational setting that will give them the most freedom to receive an education without it being isolating. Basically. The cat sat on the It's an incentive to get them to try to integrate your child as normally as possible into the school. So our kid, the youngest one, is in the second lowest tier, which is the more contained one. The self-contained classroom means this class is isolated on its own with only special education children. And so they eat lunch in their room. They have recess just amongst themselves. Like it's kind of like isolated from the rest of the class. And so that's considered a more restrictive environment for kids who have more severe special needs, that's our kid who would be considered a level three. Our level two kiddo who's a year older, she is in that hybrid model, and that's the one that is a more inclusive environment where they try to integrate your kid with neurotypical peers or peers who don't have any sort of disabilities. And the goal there is to basically help it be a more inclusive environment where your kid doesn't feel like singled out and they get exposed to more typical behaviors, which for autism is really helpful because oftentimes an autistic kid will, you know, echolalia, parrot, they will mimic behavior, things like that. So if you have them in a purely special education setting, sometimes that can be more harmful because they don't really learn or see proper behaviors and they'll mimic or parrot improper behaviors. Like who knows, maybe saying inappropriate things or what it may be. But that's basically their situation right now. We have them kind of on this like split path at the moment.
1: Both have kind of their definite pros for the um, the self-contained class, much smaller class. I, mean, I can't think of the actual class size, probably like maybe seven. I think, it. I mean, it's relatively small. It
0: ranges between like eight to like 12, just depending because some kids come and go throughout the year.
1: Okay. Because I think when we, I think it was, I mean, it was under, I think like 10 when our kids had started in the school year and they probably had a few teachers at least, I mean, that we regularly see. So at least it's kind of a small classroom with multiple teachers, kind of all hands-on. And I mean, it seems like a very like one-on-one setting to kind of work on different areas that they're working towards. So that's, I mean, definitely the strength for the inclusive class. I'm not not sure, right? right terminology there
0: self-contained
1: self-contained that's what it is
0: (laughs) (laughs) self-contained meaning it's like its own little microcosm it's like its own little government
1: Right, right. And then for the other one, it has its perk as well, because then like our oldest daughter, she's able to start working on engaging in conversations with neurotypical peers. So she can kind of work as far as like, oh, how do I engage in a conversation at the playground if I want a kid to play tag with me or go down the slide together or something. So it kind of challenges her in the sense where she can kind of work towards give and take, taking turns that might not necessarily be there with the other class. So they definitely have their pros. Like everything, there's pros and cons. So some of the other uh, struggles. It might be as far as like the opportunity for growth for the self-contained class might not be there as far as like the conversations, because you might not be able to engage in conversations with your peers because they might not be able to carry on a conversation or you get a lot of the echolalia and such. So the conversation doesn't really develop between the kids. And then the second option is the uh, the struggle with the larger class. So our oldest daughter, she's in a class, I think of about 18, I can't remember if it's 18 neurotypicals plus the four special needs kids and then they only have two teachers with a para so as far as hands-on it's a little bit less (laughs) than a one-on-one by any means so there are definitely the struggles there that things go can go unnoticed i mean she can kind of potentially wander off if eyes aren't kept on her at a critical time so it's kind of a give or take both good and bad depending on how you view each situation so
0: yeah there's Definitely pros and cons. And we want to kind of talk about both. The pros that we have seen with the self-contained classroom is, at least in our experience, the teachers there really know what they're doing. And it makes sense, right? In the self-contained classroom, it's all special education, special needs kids. So those teachers, like that is all they do. That's basically all they know. So they are kind of really good experts in that area. That means that they're probably more likely to be able to help your kid. And that is definitely what we have experienced. The self-contained classroom has been awesome for our kids. The teachers were very empathetic and understanding. And also the people who tend to be drawn into that, they tend to have um, some sort of like life experience. So we found out that like our special education teacher, she actually had an autistic child herself, which obviously means it comes with more empathy and understanding towards autistic kiddos. So that has definitely been beneficial for us, and we had a great experience there. When it comes to that more inclusive environment, we really were looking forward to moving our eldest because she was in that self-contained classroom and kind of graduated out. And we were really looking forward to moving her towards this inclusive environment because there really are a lot of perks. You're integrating them with neurotypical peers, which gives them the opportunity to practice more of those like social practices. So, they can learn how to like take turns with a kid, play games, things like that, that you just can't learn with other kids who don't have those skills. So, we really were looking forward to that transition for her, but it hasn't really been what we thought it would be. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that since there are less special needs children in that classroom, it feels to us, at least in our experience, that the teachers aren't as well equipped with handling special needs as they were in the self-contained classroom, for instance. I don't know. Did you get that feeling too?
1: I agree. It seems like it's a relatively large class size for young students. because I mean, it's pre-K. A preschooler behavior is different every single day. Uh, so it seems like sometimes the best solution that they use if our oldest is having like a meltdown or struggling is more so, okay, let's get her in basically like a isolation or kind of take her off to the side into a less stimulating area of the classroom. But unfortunately, like class sizes are <laughs> relatively small. So it's hard to be able to remove her in a place that she's able to kind of settle down and kind of get back to kind of more neutral before she can try uh, whatever task she's working on. So it seems like it's much more limited in that capacity because it seems like the student body is at capacity that they have a ton of students in that class and limited resources as far as like the size of the class, the amount of teachers that are there kind of assisting. So it does create very big challenges that we're kind of concerned with and we're hoping that they kind of work themselves out a little bit. And I think that's kind of the IEP comes in as far as like our helpful tool that kind of helps along the process, making sure that different things are met and that she's basically being taken care of in the best capacity in line with her education.
0: One of the things that I certainly have noticed is it seems like probably due to the pandemic and all of the job loss that happened, and essentially the fact that most businesses and facilities haven't been able to maintain staff, it seems like that has definitely impacted schools and the education system as well. Most of the schools right now, at least the schools that I am in contact with, don't have enough staff to really keep up with their student load. Where we're at, they said they had like a 20% increase in the student population over the COVID pandemic, and they haven't been able to keep up with the growth. So because of that, we have a ton of kids kids crammed together into these special education or inclusion classrooms with the same amount of staff. And these staff have to basically follow all these IEPs of all these kids, but you have the same amount of staff. And one of the things that we have struggled with has been trying to get our eldest daughter the attention that she really needs, the care that she really needs, that is entitled to her legally because of her IEP. One of the things that we've noticed, for example, is there's just not enough eyes on her when it comes to things like her navigating a playground. She has hypotonia, which is that low muscle tone. So she gets injured easily because she's clumsy. She has poor spatial navigations and poor body space awareness. So she has a hard time distinguishing like boundaries and surroundings and things like that. So it's easy for her to trip and fall or maybe fall on the playground equipment or something like that. And she's also an eloper. So we have all these like compounding things that make it really difficult for her to navigate the playground by herself. So we have it in her IEP that she needs to be supervised at all times. And And that is something that has been difficult for the school to do. I think it's honestly because of, again, that staffing issue. But our kids are legally entitled to these protections and there is a reason for it. Like our kids can get hurt. If they don't have this supervision on the playground, because that is essentially what happens when you don't accommodate these needs. And that is what has happened for our child on multiple occasions. She's gotten hurt a couple times because she is not really aware of how swings work. She doesn't understand that when a kid is on a swing and it goes back, she doesn't understand that it's gonna come back. And so she'll stand in front of it and get kicked in the face. She has some clumsiness. So if there's parts of the playground that are made out of concrete, which there are, then she can get injured and she has. And so for us, it's really important for her to have that supervision. And it's been a challenge because we've learned the hard way that schools are really anti-getting you that one-on-one support that you need for your child.
1: Right. That has been the biggest challenge as far as trying to get a like personal aid as a one-on-one to make sure that she is basically supervised at all times at the playground. As you mentioned, there have been a couple of injuries and thankfully things have improved as far as her ability on the playground. So we noticed that I guess her uh, special education teacher had worked with her as far as making sure that like when you're walking up a platform, you're watching your feet and gauging where the edge is so you don't walk too far. So, I mean, thankfully there have been those components where they have done kind of one-on-one sessions with her on the playground, but then there's other times where she'll get hurt and we'll kind of ask like, or inquire kind of like, Hey, like what happened? And they're not able to actually tell us like how it actually happened. They just kind of mentioned like, Oh, we took our eyes off her and she had like fallen down on the ground and. We took her to the school nurse and everything is okay. But it's just kind of the question of like, well, okay, I shouldn't have necessarily gone off of her if it's an IEP that she basically requires, at least while she's like outside on the playground, basically like eyes 24 seven forever, however long the recess is. I don't know if it's like 15, 20 minutes or so. And that's where obviously like a one on one aid would be a huge help because that one aid could focus just on her, making sure that she is safe and able to play with her peers like all the other neurotypical kids would be able to.
0: Yeah. And the other struggle that we have had, I'm not sure how many parents out there are the types that are going to go on field trips with their kids. I am definitely the type that loves to try to go on field trips with my kids, but Matt and I both have full time jobs. So it's not always possible for us to go. And we have felt and we know because we know our kids that it's virtually impossible for them to go without us, especially with the eldest. She has a lot of transition difficulties. She has hypotonia, so it's hard for her to keep up with the crowd. She gets tired really easily and needs to be basically either carried or brought on her prescription wagon. And so these field trips are very difficult for her. And it's difficult for us because, again, we're not always accessible we we need to work so one of the challenges there has been that that part of her education is not equally accessible. I'm not sure if you guys listening out there have heard of FAPE, but that's kind of like your legal right to a free and appropriate public education, which basically means your kids have a right to access education and all components of that education equally to their neurotypical peers. And so there's parts of her education right now that I feel like she is not really receiving that appropriate access that she should be. We are kind of on this journey right now, figuring that out. We are taking steps. But this is just something that we wanted to share with you all, because a lot of people think like we're doing everything perfect. And they're like, man, you guys, I don't know how you do this. But I'm telling you, no, we have our struggles, too. We don't do everything perfect. We definitely have to fight battles every day. And sometimes you're just beat. I mean, you're just like worn out from all the fighting that you have to do all the time, it feels like. Right now, this is one of those next battles for us.
1: You mentioned as far as like the field trips, like basically if we're not able to go on a field trip with her, it creates an issue. I mean, because you had gone on, I think the first field trip with her and that, kind of resorted in the end as a meltdown where we kind of had to carry her from the, I think it was like a farm off the farm to where I was able to pick you up and we were able to head back. So I mean, it ended with a meltdown. And then there was another field trip that was going to kind of a similar location that we felt and neither of us were able to go on the field trip. So unfortunately, we just had to basically call out for the day because we don't think that they have the resources to be able to do just what you were able to do on that field trip with her. So heaven forbid, there's another meltdown. They don't have the staff for, two teachers and one para, they don't have the staff to watch all the other students and then be able to work with our oldest if she's having a meltdown appropriately. I think it would be not a good situation for our oldest to be in if she's having a meltdown and they don't have the resources or the manpower to basically kind of work her through her meltdown. So we basically just had to kind of call out and say like, okay, like we're not able to go on this field trip. Hopefully our schedules will free up and we can take her on another one. But it's sad when we basically have to make the judgment call that if we're not able to attend the field, trip, she's not able to go on it because we don't think that the school has the adequate staff or one-on-one para to basically assist with her field trip situation.
0: For me, the most challenging part of this would honestly be that they are also using this red flag, green flag system. I don't know what you would call it, kind of like a good job, bad job thumbs up, thumbs down. I don't I don't know. Red and green is what they call it. The system is, you know, it's normal. Every pre-K every elementary school has like this kind of reward behavioral system, but the issue that I've had with it is that it seems like the schools have a hard time understanding autism truly. And so oftentimes they will kind of give a red card to a behavior that is not necessarily bad behavior. It's autistic behavior. And so some of the things that have been flagged are things like running away, for example. And I'm like, my kid has an elopement risk written into the IEP. So elopement is part of autism. There should definitely not be a penalty for that.
1: Right in the IEP we have that she's elopement risk, so therefore that should kind of void good behavior, bad behavior, like clearly something else is going on here. And I think the other one that we had noticed as well, I think it was like volume control, where she was getting kind of a a red choice or bad choice or misbehaving because she was having trouble controlling the volume of her voice. And honestly, I mean, I'm not sure if we have that in the IEP. I mean, we should because I mean, that goes hand in hand with kind of autism as far as like the, the audio regulatory volume control. So I mean, it seems like there's a few items that are kind of being penalized as bad behavior when it's more so the autism playing a role there.
0: Yeah, like I would definitely say me as an adult, I have trouble with like volume control. I feel like you guys probably have heard it on the podcast where I will just be really loud all of a sudden and not really notice. I try to edit it.
1: <laughs> no, they have control to turn down the volume when you're talking. <laughs> they just mute turn me. Turn <laughs> it up when I'm talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely like I do a lot of editing on this podcast. So for all y'all listening live, I am sorry, but... <laughs> That's part of autism. It's that volume control, the inability to really understand or appreciate when you're getting too loud or too quiet, according to like your surroundings. So flagging something like that as like a red behavior to me is like really inappropriate for autism. And so that's really been a struggle for us because our kids have been getting flagged, or at least the oldest one has been flagged for things that I think are clearly autistic behaviors. And some of these things are even in the IEP. That seems like something that definitely needs to be addressed. And we don't want to lay all our cards on the table because this is in the process right now. So we don't want to really necessarily out ourselves with everything that we're doing behind the scenes. But we are going through processes to try to address these things as amicably as possible, because again, I have a lot of respect for the school. I know that it's probably really a staffing issue or training issue or something like that. I think these teachers really do care about the kids, I just feel like there might just not be enough or adequate support for them.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, I I think it's more so a staffing concern than anything else. Because I mean, obviously, I mean, the teachers got into teaching for a reason, because I mean, they want to be with kids and have these interactions and such. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily say anything bad that they're going out of their way to do something wrong by any means. But I, I think sometimes they might not remember exactly what is in the IEP when they're incorporating rules or behaviors that have already been in place longer than our daughter has for example so I mean she started back in I think October at this new school the rules have already been in place before she got there so it's more so keeping in the back of your mind like oh, okay she has special rules that help her kind of navigate as far as the IEP help her navigate her education plan so I understand she's not the only one in the class so there are other children with IEP so it's just I'm guessing trying to recall oh, okay this child needs this accommodation let me make sure that that is Is met. Okay, it doesn't work out well with the rules that are in place. Okay, we need to make a modification for this child. So, I mean, unless you're constantly reviewing each of the files for each of the special needs children, it can be difficult to try and remember off the top of your head who needs what accommodation when.
0: Yeah. And so I called this episode Failure to Thrive because. The process of special needs accommodations in the public education system really kind of reminds me of when you have that newborn baby and they label them a failure to thrive. They're not growing appropriately. They're not meeting milestones appropriately, things like that. There is kind of like this equivalency when it comes to the special education system with those kiddos that are unintentionally left behind. Like if my kid is not supported in the playground, if they're not supported on these field trips or things like that. They will fail to thrive as a child. They will fail to thrive socially. They will fail to thrive academically. They will fail to thrive emotionally because if they are getting punished essentially for things that are outside of their control because they are neurologically wired to behave certain ways. This is all things that will compound together and create an environment where this kid is a failure to thrive situation. And so I really wanted to kind of shine a spotlight on that because I am sure that there's other parents out there that are struggling with the same thing that we're struggling with. We do, again, have plans to address it appropriately. There are things that you can do. You do have rights. If you are not sure how to navigate this sort of thing, there are advocates out there that are available to you. You can hire an advocate to come in and sit on an IEP meeting with you to help you navigate that system. Each state tends to have their version of some sort of parent advocacy. I know in Maryland, when we were there, it was called Parents Place of Maryland. Over here, ours is called Parent to Parent. Each state has a program, but they each have a different name. So you'd have to do a little bit of Googling to find yours. But they've got advocates that can help you with these IEP meetings and navigating your rights. They know the laws. They are not lawyers, but they can tell you what the law says. And so that's kind of what I would encourage as a first step for anybody who, is struggling through the same thing.
1: Well, I think I mean for these advocates, I think in some cases you're able to bring them or request that they come along to an IEP meeting as well. If I'm remembering correctly,
0: yeah. So you can have the advocate attend an IEP meeting with you. Another thing to know: if you are having any sort of IEP struggles, you also have a right to request that you have that meeting recorded. Now, if you request to record that meeting, just know that that then allows them to legally be allowed to record the meeting as well on their end. So it will kind of trigger that mutual allowing. But the good thing about that is typically what you will see is when you record a meeting, that behavior will change in terms of how they might approach a situation or question that you have. Once a recording device is on, people tend to be a little bit more held accountable. or
1: (laughs) I mean, you know the situation. If, I mean, anything is recorded, you can play it back at any point. That's why when Lee and I are recording these episodes, we're kind of like, oh, okay, hopefully we don't make a mistake because it's out there for everyone. So, and then we make all sorts of mistakes and then that's-
0: I was about to say, we we make all the
1: mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. It's funny though.
0: So that's just like a few little tidbits. For those of you who are watching this live on YouTube right now, we will have an interview with Laura Hales tomorrow night, and that will premiere on YouTube.com slash at Autism Wish. And that interview will go further into the IEP. And if you are struggling with navigating the IEP, it'll dive a little bit more about those options for you. If you're listening to this on the podcast, the recording of that episode will also be on our YouTube. You will have access to it whether you're watching us live on video or whether you're listening to this in the audio podcast. Even if you don't catch it live, there will be the recording available on our YouTube channel as well. So that should be helpful for hopefully everyone listening.
1: Exceptional job, Leah.
0: Speaking of exceptional. This episode was actually sponsored by a little institution called Eli. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but I really wanted to bring them out again because they helped us sponsor like 135 kids, I believe. in our Christmas Wish program. So I just want to give them a little bit of a shout out because I really am a believer of what they do. And for those of you who are having this struggle with the education system, like right now, we're having to look into public school options that are different. We're trying to look into charter schools. We're looking into private schools. We're considering homeschool. Like we are just trying to figure out where we want to have our kids because we feel like the public school system might not be the best option for them right now. And so if you're in that situation and you happen to be in Deltona, Florida, i I would love to recommend the Exceptional Learning Institute. The Exceptional Learning Institute is also known as ELI and it's a private school located in Deltona, Florida. It's for kids of all ages and it provides individualized education for maximum benefit. ELI goes above and beyond by including life skills, social-emotional learning, and generally adopting the environment to suit the child instead of expecting the child to integrate to the school. So this is really great because it allows the students to move at their own pace while still striving for their academics social and other types of goals. So it's not just academics. So if you are in the Deltona area, and that, again, is Deltona, Florida, then consider the Exceptional Learning Institute, where their motto is, it's a great place to grow. For more information or details on Eli, please visit their website at exceptionalinstitute.org today. There's a ton of information there. We've interviewed the owner on a previous IRL episode, and it's run by an autistic adult. So they're very accommodating to autism and have a total empathetic, View on that. So that was just a little, a little tidbit because I think it's appropriate when it comes to this episode for everyone looking for alternative options because I know we are.
1: If only they move just a little further north.
0: <laughs> I know. Can we can we make that commute get, <laughs> the a satellite?
1: Commute? <laughs> get a satellite <laughs> campus up here, maybe. Oh, that would be fantastic. That would be
0: so great. That is pretty much all we have for you guys today. We are, again, still navigating this journey. My hope is that it will end up well and you know we'll get our girls in a positive situation. We will keep you guys posted out there. If you are struggling with the same thing and you feel like you're having a hard time navigating IEPs or you feel like the school is, leave us some comments. Let us know your story. Either drop us a message on Facebook or Instagram at Autism Wish, or if you're on YouTube, drop a comment. We love reading those and it might help us drive a future conversation in a future episode. And if you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Again, that is youtube.com slash at autism wish. And we will be looking again at all those comments and responding to those either in upcoming episodes or just give a shout out. Who knows?
1: <laughs> might see it live. <laughs> yeah, all right. we
0: might call you out live <laughs> unless you don't want to. Then we'll just ignore you. <laughs> Sounds right. good
1: either way. <laughs> all right.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll check you out next time.
1: Thanks. Bye.
0: Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at autism wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.